Good morning, everyone. My name is Jared Perry. I'm the church planning resident here at White Rock Fellowship, uh, and I'm excited to be here with each of you. Uh, we got through Lent and Easter, and you guys are still all here at 9 a.m. Glad the time changes didn't mess you up or anything like that. But yeah, we're excited to be here and to jump back into Romans. But before we did today, I wanted to update you a little bit on what's been going on with East Eastlake. Uh, if you're new to the church uh, here at White Rock, we are invested in the East Dallas community, specifically through the vision of planning neighborhood churches in this area in order to reach our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus. And uh, Jeff and Randy Thompson at Lakewood Fellowship have been kind enough to invite me on staff to prepare for us to plant a church east of White Rock Lake that we're hoping that we'll get started meeting this coming fall. In the process we have been going through, we've started uh, meeting with uh, our core team on Sundays for lunch. We have some other people who are also still checking us out. They aren't sure if they're going to be a part of what we're doing, but uh, those have been some really sweet times to talk about what does the local church look like? What is community? How do we care for one another? What do our neighborhoods need? Um, and so we actually have one of those lunches coming up today. It's here at White Rock Fellowship. Uh, if you just want to come check us out or tell us um, hi or just hopefully be encouraged by what the Lord's doing in that community uh, of Eastlake Fellowship. We'd love to have you join us there. Um, I do want to thank you guys. Uh, last time I preached, I mentioned uh, that those lunches are a place where people could easily support us and participate in what we're doing by providing meals. And just the overwhelming amount of support that we've gotten has really blown us away. I mean, people were handing me hundreds of dollars in the aisles between the service. And I was like, okay, this is how we are going to make money. Um, no, uh, but we seriously have been overwhelmed by the support from each and every one of you. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for being a part of that. It's really helped us uh, be able to walk into those lunches, not having to worry about um, going to pick up food or, or the cost of the food, but being able to, to just be together. Uh, a few other updates that I wanted to give you. We actually went and visited a location last weekend, um, so that was fun. We went with um, some members of our core team, and Randy Thompson was able to join us. Uh, it was a great spot. We don't know that it's going to be the right fit for us for some different reasons, um, but we have a couple other things that we've been working on this week and locations that we're talking through. We'll hopefully have an update on that soon. Uh, and then lastly, I wanted to mention last time we were together, we had uh, discussed having a mental health panel uh, for parents and, and kids here in our neighborhoods and in our community. Uh, we were hoping or thinking we might have that after Easter. Uh, but as we've discussed things, we've realized it's probably going to be better for us to do that later as we get uh, closer into uh, the summer or potentially even into next year. So you will get updates on that, but just know we're not trying to keep or, that or hide that from you, but that's coming up. Okay, I've been talking a lot. Can we pray before we jump into the text this morning? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come in this beautiful weather and worship you. On the heels of the Easter season, this time that we have to be reminding ourselves of, of what you did for us, what your son Jesus did for us. Lord, I pray that the truths that we meditated on and the things that we thought about would be continuing to work in us even today. That our hearts would be soft, our, our, our ears would be open to what you potentially say to us through your text in Romans And Lord, that you would just prepare us to finish out this spring semester and go into summer well. And I'd like to ask each of you to pray for yourself. Um, 
whatever the Easter season looked like for you, maybe it was particularly a great Easter, maybe it was a challenging Easter season, I'd ask you to just take a second and pray that the Lord would be able to open your heart this morning to his word. Pray that also for those around you. Uh, If you know some names of some people, use names. If not, the Lord knows their name. But just take a second and pray and ask that God would speak to them as well. We'd be able to work through whatever these past few weeks and whatever last weekend looked like. And then finally, if you would, pray for me. Our family's having some weird medical things, and they're not big, but they're, they are um, disproportionately causing anxiety in me, and I'm finding myself distracted. So if you would just pray that this morning I'd be able to focus in and just be able to share with you from God's word. Well, Father, we pray these things because we, we cannot conjure or make them happen on our own. And so we ask you in your son's name by the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us or haven't been with us, it's been a week. Uh, so if I were in your shoes, I would definitely need a refresher as well. Let's talk through Romans and let's remember where we are in this book, right? Romans is a theological treatise on the goodness of God as shown in the gospel that moves into a section of practical applications that really talks through how do we take the truth of what we've learned through the first 11 chapters of this book and begin to apply them in other relationships and in our Christian life. And so if you'll remember, in chapter 12, we transitioned from Paul talking through the theological components of the good news into a discussion on what does it look like to be transformed by this good news. And Jeff and the team have done a a fantastic job of walking us through what does it look like to be transformed in our daily lives? What does it look like to be transformed in how we think about our gifts? What does it look like to be transformed in how we approach our, our enemies? What does it look like to be transformed in how we approach authority? And today... Paul's going to begin to talk about what does it look like for us to be transformed and how we approach our community. Now, the community of the Roman church is unique. It's one that we need a reminder of because it's so distinct from what we experience. See, the Roman church was comprised of Roman Gentile believers, people who didn't come from a Jewish background, who had come to faith in Christ and were living and practicing their faith in light of that history, but they also had a section of Jewish believers, people who had come to faith in Christ from a Jewish religious background with all the ritual practices and things that had been a part of their religious life growing up. And so the Jews and the Romans had this somewhat contentious existence in their church where they were trying to understand, okay, how do How do we practice our faith together when we come from such different backgrounds and have have such different opinions on how we're supposed to live out this Christian life? And so Paul is going to speak directly to two specific circumstances in this chapter, all right? In one case, there were Jewish believers who thought that they could not eat meat. They believed, I need to only eat vegetables, because the concern was that eating meat in Rome 
would mean that they were eating meat that had been sacrificed or given over to idol worship and given over to other gods. And so these believers, out of the conviction of their heart, were concerned that if I eat this meat that's been sacrificed to another god, that I will be unclean, it would be unholy, it would be not right for me to potentially eat this meat that I know could be sacrificed to another god. So I'm only going to eat vegetables. An incredible amount of dedication and conviction. But then you had these other believers, these Gentile believers, who said, oh, I, can, I have freedom, right? I didn't sacrifice this meat to those idols. I didn't make that choice. That wasn't my motivation. I have this freedom in the Lord to know that I can eat meat and eat vegetables, and I don't have to worry about that. And there was contention in the church over what was the right way to practice what they ate. There's also the issue of what day and how they were celebrating certain days, right? So Jewish, uh, the Jewish people had specific holidays and specific days that they celebrated as specifically holy to the Lord, days that um, were particularly important within the faith community of the Jewish people. And because Jesus himself had been a Jew, the Jewish Christians were saying, hey, we should continue to celebrate these days. Whereas the Gentile believers were saying, no, Jesus is our Lord, our Savior. We will celebrate him and honor him every day. We should celebrate him every day. And so there was this conflict between the two groups over these issues. And Paul is going to jump right into it and open us up by speaking to how this gospel that he's been talking about transforms our approach to community. So with all that background, let's finally get into the text. Romans 14, read with me verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats, <coughs> excuse me, despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. The first way that the gospel transforms our approach to community is it encourages us to welcome differing opinions. And Paul very clearly starts off by saying, right, if you have someone who you view as weaker in your faith, welcome them into your community, not to quarrel with them. In verse 3, he's going to remind them, God has welcomed you. This term welcome, Paul will use later in Romans, I believe it's chapter 15, where he will also say this same concept, right? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. This idea that Christ brought us in to the family of God, despite our differences, despite our failures, despite the ways where we were objectively wrong. Jesus said, come be a part of my family. Come close to me. Roots of this Greek word will also be used to talk about eating, right? Taking in. Welcome people of differing opinions. Because we've been transformed by the gospel. Now Paul uses this term weak in faith and that immediately might raise some red flags for some of us, right? right? Weakness in our culture and calling someone weaker than you maybe has more of a negative connotation than it would have in this context, right? We, we live in a country where everyone is meant to be treated equal. That doesn't always happen, 
But the idea that I was stronger and you are weaker comes with a little bit more of a value statement. It's a little bit more of, oh, I'm better and you are worse that I don't know is necessarily translated in this context. For sure, Paul does want these believers to be strong in their faith, but there's also a recognition of the realities of life that mean there are times when we have to grow. And if we're growing in strength, that means there are times when we are weaker. And so Paul is encouraging the community to remember the need for that growth and remember that just because someone is starting as a weaker brother or in a weaker position of faith doesn't mean we can't welcome them in. It doesn't mean God might not move in their life. It means that they're still a part of this community. And so what does Paul tell them not to do, right? Don't welcome them in just to argue with them. Don't bring them into your church and be like, oh, I just, I just want to fix you, right? I just want to make what you think be like what I think. Then he goes further in verse three, let no one who eats despise the one who abstains and let, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Paul has encouragements for both groups here. He says, hey, if you're eating the meat, do not despise the one who is abstaining from eating. Don't think less of them for where they are. And if you aren't eating, don't pass judgment and think these people are unrighteous or unholy for what they do. Because in the community of God that's transformed by the gospel, we have the ability to welcome different opinions. But why is this transformation real? What makes this transformation happen? I think Paul hints at it in verse four. For he says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. What's Paul's point here? Ultimately, don't despise, don't pass judgment on one another because you both serve a different master. You both serve the Lord, Jesus Christ. And that service of him changes everything. When I was like a preteen, I think I was like 12, my family went uh, on a ski trip. It's the first time I'd ever been skiing. We went to Colorado. I was so excited, okay? Uh, I've got two younger brothers with me. We were in the car the whole ride up, <laughs> just like the best behaved kids because we thought this was the best vacation we were ever going to go on. Uh, we get up there. As I remember, I think it was our first day. I'm not exactly positive, but, but we are in the ski lodge, right? We're getting ready to go out, and I'm going to go on the bunny slopes and learn how to do the pie wedge and all that kind of stuff. But before we go out, we have to make sure, hey, everybody needs to go to the bathroom because you don't want to get off, right? Get up there on the mountain and then realize you got to go, and then you got to make it all the way down. So we got to march. Me and my two brothers are being marched in, and we're with my family and my aunts and uncles and my grandparents. And so we go to the bathroom. My little brother gets done first. And my dad says, hey, go out and find your Uncle David. He's in a red coat. So we go to the bathroom, walk out. We start looking for my little brother, Grant. Can't find him. We find my uncle. My brother's not with him. And so obviously, I'm 12. I'm not thinking about it. But my parents are starting to freak out. And we're looking around and looking around. And we see a man with a red coat sitting on a bench by the front door. 
And so my parents walk over and they're like, oh my gosh, they see Grant, they find him. They're like, thank you so much. But they're a little freaked out. Like, what are you doing letting a kid you don't know just sit in your lap, sir? That's a little strange. And so my parents are kind of approaching with that, oh, I'm glad I found you, but also this is weird. And then they meet the man and it's Vince Gill. (laughs) Now, all of you under 30 are looking at me like, who is that? All right? Vince Gill would have been very popular on TikTok, I'm just saying. But he was a famous singer back in the day who has a phenomenal, phenomenal voice. And my parents, who had grown up on country music and gospel music, just about died. Everything changed for them, right? Before, this was just some man in a red coat who was letting a six-year-old sit on his lap. And now, this is Vince Gill, right? It's Vince Gill. Oh my gosh, we're going to shake his hand. We're so thankful. Thank you for taking care of our son. You're amazing. We love your music. What are the odds, right? Because once you realized who it was and who my brother's lap, whose lap my brother was in, right? It changed everything. It changed everything. For us as believers, in the way we interact with our community, If God and Jesus are just some nebulous thing that like, oh, he's just out there, right? Oftentimes we get so focused in on what we think is right and wrong that we don't have the proper perspective to appreciate what's really going on. And what's really going on is that we have been saved out of our own unrighteousness. And in doing so, God has proved that he is trustworthy. Remember what we said in Romans 1, right? Back in Romans 1, verse 17, we were told the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So these first 11 chapters of Romans have told us God is righteous. God is just. We can trust him to judge rightly. We don't have to do all that judgment on our, by ourselves. And also, you can't. Right? Remember Romans 3. For, right, there is no one righteous compared to God's righteousness especially, but none of us are righteous, not even one. So we don't have the ability to judge one another. We must fully rely on Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, we're able to take a step back and say, oh, okay, on matters of opinion, I don't have the authority or the capacity to judge you accurately. But praise the Lord that we have a master who will judge between us on these things that differ. And in the meantime, we can welcome one another. Not only does Paul ask us to welcome those of differing opinions, he also encourages us to be convinced of our own opinions. Look with me in verse 5. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Paul's basically saying, there is a reality where people who are practicing their faith different than you in these matters of opinion can be just as honoring to the Lord as you can be in practicing your faith. But the key is that we become convinced of our opinions. 
In verse five, he said, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. God gives us this freedom on these matters of opinion. And Paul asks us to take that freedom and be fully convinced. It's really a beautiful opportunity to recognize and remember that we have a real relationship with Jesus, a real relationship with God that invites us to figure out what does it look like for me to honor him with my life. When we were in college, uh, my wife was having her birthday. It was like right at the beginning of the school year. And so I invited all of our friends to my college house. We had this huge party. I was like, yeah, we're going to celebrate Abby. It's going to be so great. About halfway through the party, I'm looking around. I'm like, wait, where's Abby? She had picked out her best friend and gone into one of the side rooms because for Abby, her celebration, she just wants to be with a small number of people. She's an introvert. She, she like appreciates being with her close friends. She doesn't want the big party. And I had totally missed it, right? I had just thrown the party that I wanted to throw and hadn't realized that knowing my wife would mean knowing what would honor her. And what would help her celebrate? The Lord is offering to you the opportunity to know him. Not know, hey, this is what all the public things look like for Christianity. But like Jesus knows you and wants you to know him and wants you to figure out what does it look like for you to walk with him and honor him in the way that you live your daily life. It's a beautiful invitation and one that we can't miss. So for Paul, moving into a helpful community, transformed community, involves taking this step to become fully convinced of your own opinions. Look with me in verse 7. He says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Notice Paul wants all of us, whether you were weak in faith or stronger faith, to move in maturity and be transformed by this recognition that we live to the Lord and we die to the Lord. And so he invites us into this process to allow this transformation to happen in order that we might bring more unity within our community. And as we move to the final section, we see him further explore what is the truth behind this transformation. Look with me in verse 10. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. I think Kyle made a great point a few weeks ago when we wrestle with some text in scripture. It can be really easy for us to push towards the exemptions and say, well, this is why I can judge, or this is why I can despise, or this is why I can be. But the point of the text here is to push us into uncomfortable places 
And the reality is this text means something that's real, even when it makes us uncomfortable. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise them? And Paul points out to a misaligned priority that fails to recognize the role of Christ in your life and in theirs. These were not extra biblical problems, right? Like days that we celebrate the Lord are in the Old Testament. They're in our scripture, right? These are biblical problems that people are wrestling over. And yet, Paul still gives us the freedom and the authority to say, you can trust that God will judge you rightly and God will judge them rightly. And then in the meantime, God has judged that we should be together and that the world will know us by our love for one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now with that said, this is not license for you to say, well, this is what God told me, so you can't judge me, right? This is Paul we're talking about. Do you remember the rest of this book, right? Where he said, there is no one righteous, right? We are all sinners. He was very happy to judge me with that statement. Thank you very much, right? How many times did he ask a question someone was asking and go, by no means? Like, that's a silly question, and he's happy to assign intent behind it because we're talking about matters of opinion, right? We're not talking about any general practice or any general theological thought, right? There are truths that are true. And we can look at one another and say, what you're doing is not correct because of this thing on foundational matters of belief and practice. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about matters of opinion, matters of practice that aren't foundational to our faith, but are complicated. For us, I don't think a lot of us are arguing over what day is holy or whether we're going to be vegetarians or eat meat that might be sacrificed to idols. But people might be arguing over whether someone should be on dating apps or not on dating apps. They might be arguing over whether you should send your kid to public school or private school or be homeschooled. They might be judging other people based upon what they do or don't do during Lent to fast. You might be prone to think less of someone based on whether they drink alcohol or not. There are plenty of places in our faith where there are matters of opinion that we have the opportunity to either welcome people or to pass judgment on them. And this text invites us to remember Christ's role in our life because doing so gives us the freedom to, alongside the work of the Spirit, be fully convinced of where we are and fully able to welcome others into our community. And so this week, I'd love for you to think about 
What would it look like for you? Are there people or are there topics and matters of opinion that you just find it so hard to not be frustrated by people who disagree? Maybe talk to people in your community. Talk to the Lord about that frustration and bring that to him. But more importantly, as Paul ends this text, is how I want to end this sermon. By inviting us to remember who is the righteous judge. Is it us? Do we have the ability to tell with all authority and 100% accuracy, this is right and this is wrong? Or is it the Lord who in his grace has saved each of us? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the truths of this text. That we are welcomed into a community that's not based on our ability to agree with every single little detail and hold and practice everything exactly right. But it's a community founded on the grace of the gospel and the good news that we've been rescued by Jesus even when we were his enemies. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, that you would use the truth of the trustworthiness of Jesus and our ability to believe in his judgment to give us the freedom to move closer to you and to move closer to those who have differing opinions with us. Father, may our hearts be changed by the humility that we have and the acknowledgement that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.